One of my childhood memories uh, growing up was uh, our, at our school, they wanted us to come dressed up like we wanted to be uh, when we grew up, you know. Some of you, are, your wives are saying, yeah, I wish you would finally grow up and decide what you want to be. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I went, I wanted, I took this way too uh, seriously than I should have. I wanted to be a naturalist when I grew up. It's kind of a childhood thing. I'm into the outdoors and all that. In fact, I just spent the weekend backpacking with a couple of my sons and even pursued it in college. But, you know, what does a naturalist look like? How do you go to school dressed up like a naturalist? I mean, I wish I could have done something a little, you know, cooler or more normal, like a fireman, you know, or just something that was normal. So I, I found a bright yellow backpack and kind of took that, and I thought, well, you know, naturalists, they're a little geeky. I'm, I've always was geeky as a kid, and you just kind of can't escape some things. My wife says I'm still geeky, so that's just reality, you know. No matter how much you try, you just can't overcome some of that, but I think I put a pair of binoculars in there. I don't remember what else. I wanted to, you know, go ready to be dressed up like everybody else was. Well, have you ever noticed that there are some jobs that are out there that you can just kind of tell what a person does by looking at them? I mean, it's kind of hard to not guess what a hockey player does for a living. You know, they walk around with the skates and the pads and all of that, and you see the construction, the carpenters out there with their hammers and tape measures and all the tools around their uh, belt. It is normal for us to dress with whatever our profession is in a way that fits that. Well, as God's children, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are told that we need to dress for success as well. And if we are to survive in the spiritual battle in which we find ourselves, there are six things that God has availed himself to us, that he offers us. And he says, you guys, we are responsible to wear these. If we are going to, at the end of the day, to be able to stand the battle, to withstand the attacks of Satan and all the hosts of the enemy that are against us, against all that is godly, against all that God has and all that God is, if we are going to withstand those things, we have have to wear all six of these spiritual pieces of armor. Now, I like to think of them as actions that we do. There's a lot of ways to work through them. You can pray through them in, in the morning each day or whatever. And, and, uh, but one of the ways that's helped me is to kind of see them as actions, things that we ought to be doing that ought to characterize and be a part of our life on an ongoing, regular basis. So read with me, if you would, in Ephesians 6, and let's read about this armor. Start with me in verse 13. The Bible says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. First piece of armor that Paul the Apostle writes, and he tells us, as he says in verse 14, that we ought to gird our waist with truth. Action number one is we ought to be a person of truth. You see, at the end of the day, guys, this picture is, if you, we read through this passage, you just went through this series, you know this. At the end of the day, the goal is for you and I to be standing. 
I mean, we are to give our whole all. It is, it is, the picture is that at the end of the battle, that it's going to take every muscle, every fiber, every ounce of effort, of energy, of God's grace in our life, that when the battle comes for you and I to simply stand at the end of the day, as we watch these Olympians, as they give it their all, and they've worked for years and years to be able to compete for that honor and that round gold medal. And they, I mean, they watch everything they do. It is geared around that. You and I are to effort to wear the armor and at the end of the day as we engage in that spiritual warfare under the grace of God it is all we're going to be able to do to simply stand to not fall down to not fall in to not fall back not give way but to simply stand in the faith that our Lord Jesus has called us to and the first step of that is for you and I to be a person of faith now, the armor for the soldier started with wearing the belt. I mean, that's not too uh, exotic of a piece of equipment, but I tell you, it's kind of hard to fight a battle if your pants fall down. I mean, you kind of lose your whole dignity and everything all in one swoop, you know. If every, your sword falls off and all that, I mean, you're just in trouble. That's just reality. So he says, wear the belt of truth. It is a very important piece of armor. It held up everything, all the armor and all the equipment that was going below the waist. Wear that belt of truth, the Bible says. You see, God is a God of truth. He calls us to be a people of truth. And there's a lot in this world that claims to be truth. There's a lot today that says there is no truth. You just do whatever you want. You see, as God's children, we are to be people that live and believe and that speak the truth. We are to be speak tellers. We are to be truth professors, if you will. Jesus Christ came in the very embodiment of truth. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one, no man comes to the Father except through me. We are to be people of truth. Now, sincerity just doesn't really cut it. We run into a lot of sincere people in this world spiritually. My grandmother's one of those. I think I've talked to you about her, a little bit about her in the past. She's a 96-year-old woman. She is just a very cool grandmother. She, my grandmother lives at home. She still drives. She goes to Curves, ladies. I mean, she's just she's amazing. I mean, it just it blows me away. Just a couple of years ago, I flew her out here, and I said, Graham, you're going to stay in a hotel. I don't want to stay in a hotel. Graham, you don't understand. I live on a two-story house. This is New York, okay? I have no bedrooms downstairs. There's no shower downstairs. You're going to stay a week. You, we're going to have to get you. I'm not going to do that. 95-year-old woman up and down the stairs every day. You know, by the last day, my wife had to kind of help her up into the van. I said, honey, I draw the line here, all right? This is your job, okay? You know, she's trying to wiggle up into that van. Just an amazing woman. I love my grandmother. She is one of the most spiritual people I know. Meditates every day. Not the kind of meditation that you and I are supposed to do. She is seeking a higher being or that in her life. But my grandmother, in her sincerity and her spirituality, is gravely mistaken. She doesn't have truth. She believes that she's lived many lives before this one. She believes she's got a few more to go and that we each get multiple times around this earth till we finally get it right. Well, guys, the Bible says in Hebrews it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. She doesn't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. She just believes he was a God, a, a good guy, one we're supposed to follow. In her sincerity, she doesn't have truth. You see, guys, being sincere is not enough. 
There's a lot of sincere people around, but you and I are to be people of truth. We are to be people who, who recognize and see the lies that Satan tries to slip and the counterfeits that he will try to s- slip into our lives and into our thinking and for us to make some wrong decisions and to really to fall flat on our face before a holy God. Only you and I can find truth in God's Word as we seek Him. So the first piece of armor is that we've got to put on our belt, guys. One of the very first things is to, be, is to desire in our heart to be people of truth above all things. The second piece, or second action, second piece of armor I want you to notice that we're to wear is that breastplate of righteousness. Look at verse 14. And so we're to stand in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We've all seen the pictures of the Roman soldiers and their armor, and, and they, they had some incredible armor that went from the waist right up to the neck, protecting all the vital organs. You see, you take a hit here, and it's life-threatening. I mean, even today, it's really a dangerous place in, in warfare to get hit. That's why they wear Kevlar and all that kind of stuff. The breastplate of righteousness... See, God is not only a God of truth, but He's a God of righteousness. He is a God who is right, who is good, who is pure, who is holy. And we too are called to be people of righteousness because we're to follow Him and to look like Him. That word holy, we don't talk a whole lot about it in church. I mean, we sing about it, but guys, God is so holy that it really would blow our minds if we could even compre- could co- possibly comprehend or get our hands around what that means. He is just so pure and untainted, and we've just so made so many excuses in our own lives. Well, I'm just doing the best I can, or well, there, you know, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm just, you know, I'm a little weak, and it was just a mistake. And we do everything we can to kind of color all the stuff that goes on inside our hearts. God is holy, pure, untainted by any even thought of remotely of wrong. In fact, he, he is so pure he will never do anything wrong and it will be impossible for him to allow sin and wrong that we do to go unpunished, to go unchecked in our lives and in the end. So we as God's people are to, be, to wear that breastplate of righteousness. Now the Bible talks about two kinds of righteousness. The righteousness that God gives, because guys, He's the only one who's righteous. So where are we going to get it? I mean, that's that's where it comes from. My kids have learned, you know, Daddy's a place for money. So I mean, they're they're not getting it too many other places. So you know, they got to go to the source. Well, we go to the source for righteousness, and it's God. So there's a righteousness that God gives, but there's a righteousness that in turn we are to live. We receive that righteousness that God gives whenever we finally come to that place in our life where we realize that all the stuff that we've done has earned us punishment and death and separation from God and that no matter how much we do good, it can never outweigh the bad. I mean, we can tell one lie and tell the truth a million times and those million truth statements will never outweigh that one lie, especially the person we told the lie to. And none of us like to be lied to. It's amazing how we play a double standard. You know, we get incensed when somebody lies to us, and yet we kind of let ourselves off the hook whenever we do it with somebody else. I mean, we do that. And God is the only one who can take that lie and those lies, because frankly, we've all told many more than that, and we all have the desires and the lusts in our heart and the greed and the pride and selfishness and all that stuff that's down in there. Only God can forgive us of that and change that in our life. 
And so when we finally realize that we can't overcome it ourselves, that we are in trouble, we're in a mess, we're in a world of hurt, and we're all there, we've all done that kind of, those kinds of things, that only God is the one who can forgive us. And we realize that Jesus Christ, that's what it's all about, as he came and as he died on that cross 2,000 years ago, paid for the punishment, the penalty of our sin and our disobedience. When we finally bend our knee to him and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, forgive me. I'm a broken man. I'm a broken woman. I want Jesus to save me and to forgive me of all that I've done as we turn away from those things and receive that grace that God gives, that righteousness that God has comes and it clothes us. It covers all of that junk in our life. That's the righteousness that God gives. And then we in turn are to live that out. See, that's the really cool thing. God declares us, kind of as judge, he says, you are righteous, even though we're not. He declares us to be that, and then he wants us to demonstrate that. And so the longer we follow him, more and more we grow in that righteousness, and we live that out, and we're more faithful, and more and more we resemble him. So guys, when we wear this breastplate of righteousness, it's really not talking about so much our salvation or that righteousness that God gives as it is the righteousness that we in turn are to live. So he's saying we should wear that righteousness, that we as we go about everything in our life should demonstrate the righteousness of God. We are to be careful about how we live in this world. We should be people of high morals. We should be people who honor him, people that live out that high moral life in every area. You see, because of that, we're to be countercultural. We don't need to be weird as Christians, all right, as God's children. There's just enough weird people in the world, all right? We got enough weirdos. We don't need to add any more, okay? And I have to work hard at that a little bit because I am a little bit weird too, and you probably are as well, you know. It's okay. Go ahead and elbow your, your husband there, wives. So we are a little weird, but we don't need any more of those. But we are to be countercultural. We are to be different. We're to be people who show mercy and show love and forgiveness, people who seek righteousness. Just this past week, I, I wondered what the, uh, the woman at Staples thought. I had bought one of those little flash drives. I thought I was going to use it for the office. It was like 8 gigabyte. You know, it was on sale, dirt cheap. And I bought it in the office didn't, because it's nonprofit, didn't pay tax on it. Well, in the end, we didn't need it, and we used some other ways to back some things up. And I said, well, I'm going to use that at home. Well, after a couple of weeks, I had to go back to Staples and pay the tax on that stupid thing so that I wouldn't be robbing New York State. And I thought, this woman probably at the register thinks I'm nuts. You know, taking time out of my day, driving to go, you know, pay tax on a, on, on a little item like that. But we are to live differently in our world because, guys, stealing, stealing, no matter who, it, who we're robbing from. We're to be people who live high moral life. Third piece of armor to wear, third action. We're to become a person who blesses others. Verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You see, God is a God who desires the salvation of all people. He loves people. And He's a God who wants peace with people. That's what the good news is all about. It's the, the gospel is the good news. It's that message of salvation. The great news is, is that we can be forgiven of all that junk, have a relationship with God, and have peace with God and a rightness in this messed up world. We can have a rightness with Him. 
And he wants you and me to in turn to be those people who bless and who bring and live out that good news all around us. It is a message of peace. It is a message of salvation that if you, when we receive Jesus as Lord, we have peace with God, and we then are able to have peace with others. In fact, you know what the Bible says? When a, um, a, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. You see, as we live out our lives, we begin demonstrating that life of peace. And so, guys, here's the deal. We should have our feet ready as we go. And that is significant because to be a blessing to others, you can't stay where you are. I mean, we can't just stay in our homes. We can't just stay inside our, our four walls of our church building. It involves us going and being engaged with other people's lives as we talk to them about that good news and as we live out that good news in our lives. I like to look at it this way as, our, as just our very presence of being around others and those that don't know Jesus yet. Do they... Are they blessed by our presence? Are we good news to them? Are they glad to see us in all that we engage? I'm not talking about individuals that might just be at a point in their life where they're so convicted that they don't want to be around believers, but I'm saying, you know, does somebody whisper under their breath, oh, they just have such a bad attitude, you know, or uh, how do we present ourselves? Are we living as God's children? Are we good news to those around us? Are we serving them? Are we blessing them by our life? as well as our lips, by what we say as well as what we do? Are we helping them to know how to know Jesus as Lord of their life by the things that we talk to them about? And are we helping them see what that looks like and feels like as we live? Guys, part of the armor is wearing our feet prepared. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers of the day had nails driven through those, those shoes. They weren't open-toed sandals. I mean, they're not like our little flip-flops or things like that. I mean, it's kind of hard to fight when you stub your toe and, you know, you're jumping up and down. I mean, they were, they were closed shoes, all right, but they had nails driven through there to give them traction so that they could be swift and they could be agile as they were fighting. You and I are to be quick, if it, as it were, on our feet as we bring that message of salvation to the people around us. Now, keep in mind, guys, God hates all... I mean, Satan hates all of this stuff. He doesn't want you and I to wear any of this armor. He wants you and I to leave our shoes at home, to stub our toes. He wants us to wake up and to forget our righteousness and just have that one moment, that glance or that thought and those things that stick with us. He wants us to be defenseless because, frankly, He wants to take us down. You see, the things we're talking about this morning, we're not talking about the inconveniences of life. We're not talking about, you know, missing the close parking spot at Walmart or coming out of the grocery store and the rain just dumps on you or, or, or like yesterday, I was uh, hiking with my sons and coming back down 149 and coming into Queensbury and traffic was backing up, I mean, way back. I got past Bay Road. But it backed up not long past that, and I should have known better. I mean, I've been around enough to know, and I said, well, I'll just deal with it. You know, I got time, and half an hour later, I'm still not at the light, and I'm just beginning to come into the bridge, you know, that little walkway thing. And I got to the light, and I saw a, a tanker truck. It was there, and the light turned green. I said, okay, and he finally got on up and made the turn and stopped. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I've got another 45 minutes just to hit the north way, you know. So I turned around, went all the way to Bay Road and around. 45 minutes, you know, wasted of a good day sitting in traffic. That's not the stuff I'm talking about. Satan's goal is not to annoy you. That stuff's not from him, okay? That's not what he's doing. 
What he wants to do is to simply destroy and annihilate everything that God is doing in your life. He wants to take your whole family down. He hates all that God is doing in your life and in your church. We're not talking about little inconveniences here, folks. We're talking about absolute destruction of all the morals, of all your faith, of all that you stand for. And if it were possible, if it were not for God, he would be successful. Because you and I are weak. There's not enough spiritual power in this room to stand against the attacks of Satan if it were not for God's grace in our lives. So let's be very clear that what we're talking about is very much a matter of life and death, very much a matter of success and of survival and thriving in our world. Notice the, act, the fourth action, the fourth piece of armor. We are, in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The action I've titled this is, we're to act in faith. This shield that the Roman soldiers use is not one of those little ones. It's not gladiators, okay, you know, or anything like that. This was a, the Roman soldier's shield was a long rectangular shield. It was a shield that their entire body, in fact, their entire army could hide behind it. When, the, when the, the, their, their enemies were, were firing arrows in, the front line of soldiers would put their shields in front and everybody in the back would put over the top. It would literally, they could hide an entire army behind these shields. Here's the picture. The shield of faith that we're to wear is to be so strong or to take, if you will, to be so large that all of our life can hide behind it. The problem is, is that you and I sometimes let our, our leg hang out there a little bit or we peek around the corner or our shoulder or we kind of hang out in places where we shouldn't. Now, Satan's no dummy. He's been at this for thousands of years. He is really smart. Now, he's not going to aim at the shield. He's going to aim at what's hanging outside the shield. Maybe it's your finances. <laughs> Maybe you're not acting in faith in your finances. Maybe you're going out and spending where you shouldn't be, not trusting God and holding and being content. Maybe it's desires of your heart. Maybe it's relationships. I don't know what area of your life and your family and your church, but from time to time I look and say, whoops, I'm hanging out there. I'm a little vulnerable. The shield of faith is to quench all the fiery darts. And these aren't little, these aren't little darts. These aren't little things that sting you. I mean, this is a, a, an enemy's flaming arrow that they fire looking to pierce your flesh and burn and singe right into your soul and to destroy you. Guys, we've got to quench all of these. And the shield of faith is critical. Question, is every decision and every action of your life an act of faith? In every area, can you say you are a person of faith? I'm challenged by that because, guys... I'm not there yet, honestly. We are to be a people of faith. It is that faith that's, that quenches those darts of Satan. I'm reading right now in my devotional life the story of Job, and I, it's amazing. It really is a story of people wrestling with why bad stuff happens to people who are trying to follow God. Isn't that a real... I mean, that's, t that's a today kind of issue. We wonder that, God, why is this just so hard? Why am I having this trouble right now? Well, you know the story of Job. Satan's there visiting God one day with the angels, and God basically says, this is my translation, have you seen my man Job? 
And Satan said, yeah, I've seen him, but he wouldn't be half that. If, he, if you would just remove the walls around him, I mean, you just let me take what he's got. And then he'll curse you to your face. He'll turn right around from you. And God said, all right, take all that he has, but don't touch his body. So Satan went and took all he had. The Bible describes him as the greatest man of the East at the time. He was kind of the Bill Gates. He had 3,000 camels, 7,000 sheep. You know, I don't really know how wealthy that really is because I'm really not into sheep and camels. In fact, I really don't want 10,000 of those hanging around my house, you know. But anyhow, if you're a camel herder or farmer or ship, whatever, you know, if that's your thing, that was a really big deal back then. All of that stuff, gone. He got a series of messengers that reported one after the other about all of his holdings destroyed. And the last messenger, Satan saved the best for last and said, There was a freak storm. All of your children were in a house eating together, and a storm came and killed them all. He lost it all, and he didn't turn his back on God. Satan comes back to God, and God says, Yeah, now, Satan, you see my man Job. And, God, and Satan said, uh, yeah, I've seen him, but yeah, you think he's hot stuff, but you, you let me mess with his body. He'll turn his back on you and curse you to your face. God said, all right, you can touch his body, just don't take his life. So Satan struck him with boils from the top of his head, the Bible says, to the bottom of his feet. He was so bad, his friends heard about him and traveled to go visit him. And they did not recognize him, couldn't even recognize him as they got to him. He was a mess, physically, lost everything. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but I'd be, I'd be ready to about die about then. I mean, I just, this is awful. I've never gone through that kind of stuff. Lose all your kids, lose everything you have, lose your health, lose it all. Interesting that his, his wife seems to do okay, and I almost think Satan kept her there because she was stinging him in the side the whole time. And She said, Job, just hurry up and curse God and get it over with, and he'll kill you, and it'll end your misery. And you know what Job said? Shall we not receive the good, and shall we not also receive the bad from God? Here, here's what he said in my language. God gives us good stuff. I'm going to trust him even in the bad stuff. You see, Job had his shield of faith up. Even in the midst of all of that, he wasn't hanging out there. He didn't curse God because he trusted God with everything of his life, even when he was going through the hard times. Guys, we don't understand why, but we know that God loves us, and he cares for us, and he's bigger than all of that, and he has purposes, honestly, that we don't fully comprehend. But I promise you, he loves you, and he will take care of you even in the middle of it. Read the rest of Job, and you'll see how God answered all of those prayers and needs. Fifth piece of armor we need to wear is the helmet of salvation. In verse 17, take that helmet of salvation. Notice we're responsible to wear this. God's not going to wear it for us. We've got to take it. He provides it, but we've got to use it. It's the way it is in the Bible. It is significant that salvation is connected with the helmet. You see, we're to remember our salvation. Satan loves to play mind games. It's one of his strategies. He loves to cast doubt into your mind and worry and defeat and all of those kinds of things. He wants to attack your memory of salvation. You see, there's nothing that, that he can do to undo your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing can end that. That's a, that's a done deal. Nothing will change the fact of my kids being my children. Nothing. Death, 
I mean, injury, harm, they can do all kinds of stuff later on and be an absolute embarrassment to me. I don't know what's going to happen. I pray that none of that will happen. But nothing will change that. The fact that they are my flesh and blood. And it's the same way with God. When we receive Jesus as Lord of our life, He has made us His child and nothing can undo that. Nothing at all. Nothing. And so He wants us to remember that salvation, to not forget that. There's not a day that goes by that I don't want my kids to remember, to know that I love them and that I am their dad and that I'm there to take care of them and to be responsible for them. Sometimes that means doing stuff they don't like so much, but that's part of the job being a parent. By the way, sometimes God does stuff and allows things in our life we don't like that much when it doesn't feel that good, but it's needful in our lives. And we're to remember that. We're to stand in that authority of Jesus Christ, not in fear, not in doubt, but we as God's children, especially as we're dealing uh, and battling the evil one. I mean, there's some pretty scary stuff in here. Principalities and powers and spiritual darkness and high places. I mean, I... Uh, you know, that that's a little... I think about uh, the Lord of the Rings and all of this. You know, I'm like, whoa, I don't know that I'm ready to be out there. But we stand in the authority of Christ. Guys, Jesus is Lord of all. And we stand behind Him. Remember that salvation and that relationship that we have with God. Six pieces of armor, sixth action. And we are to, in verse 17 and to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Use God's words wisely. Satan wants us to ignore the Bible. He doesn't want us so much to curse against it, because we're not that dumb. (laughs) Unbelievers would. But you and I, that's not the temptation he's going to throw at us. He's just going to help us to take it one little step at a time, nonchalantly. Just kind of ignore it. Well, maybe you start reading it and don't pay attention to it and your mind's everywhere else. And maybe, well, I'm just too busy. I don't have time to, to look at it today. And before you know it, a day turns into two days and a week. And before you know it, you've just wandered far away. How do you get lost one step at a time? He doesn't come at you and say, why don't you just throw your Bible over in the corner and totally ignore it? You and I wouldn't fall for that. It's just one little increment at a time. You see, we're to remember God's words. We're to, to use them wisely, and to, to use them means we've got to keep it fresh in our book. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible through. I wish I could tell you and just, you know, sound impressive, and, well, I've read it. I don't remember, but it's never enough. <laughs> it's, you, you never can stop. There's always new circumstances in your life and new things that God needs to show you to grow you and strengthen you. When do you stop fertilizing and watering your garden? You don't. It just kind of goes and happens. And it's the same way with God's Word. So, guys, it's like everything else. You use it or you lose it. And we're to keep reading it daily. And I urge you to memorize it weekly. We do that in our home. I'm so thrilled that Dewana is kicking up this fall. And, uh, boy, it's right around the corner. Summer is ending soon. And the kids with all the many verses they're going to memorize. I challenge you parents, don't let the kids outdo you. At least memorize right along with them. See, we need it as much as they do. Say, oh, I can't memorize you. Yeah, you can. You know your social security card. You've had, most of you have memorized your email since you've got it. I mean, that's very new technology. You know, Even if you've lived in the same house for 40 years, that's something that's new. We all can memorize. Some of us have to work at it more than others and do whatever you need. Pictures, do the, my wife will do the little gesture thing. You know, it's kind of silly, but it works for her, you know. Memorize it because here's the deal. This is not a game. 
This is not NFL. This is not basketball. You're not going to be able, when the attack comes from Satan, say, oh, can I get a timeout here? <laughs> can I have a 20-second timeout to kind of... I missed that day in Bible study. I really wasn't paying attention. Let me... I know that's in here somewhere. Boy, I, need, I just... Give me a minute. I'll find it. Let me look at it. Satan's not going to play fair. He's not going to give you a timeout. In fact, he's going to ta- attack you at your weakest point. And that's the stuff you don't know and that you have ignored. So when you have your nose and just reading, and as you keep that relationship with God fresh, your armor stays up. Your sword stays in your hand. And when the things that hit Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Sunday afternoon that you don't expect, you're ready. Because, guys, Satan's not going to announce when he's going to attack you. He's just going to do it, as all enemies do. Use everything to his advantage. And the only way you and I can stay ready is if we wear the armor of God. Notice that we're to wear it all, every piece of it. What piece have you neglected this morning? What's laying aside? What piece would your spouse say, yeah, that's the one that's been missing lately? How about your friends? Now, that's a a challenging thing. Ask somebody who knows you well and say, where am I weak? Where have I been vulnerable? And commit and get somebody around you and work and focus on redoubling that effort of that armor. Put it on. And be ready to meet the challenges because, guys, Satan's watching. He roams around like a lion, the Bible says, ready to attack, looking whom he not can just nibble on, but whom he can devour. Pray with me. Father, help us to withstand the attacks of Satan, I pray. Lord, I thank you for this armor that you avail it to us, you give it to us. Help us to wear it in season, out of season, daily, 24-7. Thank you, Father, for the grace that you have and that you restrain Satan and all of his attacks, even though it seems like we couldn't handle any more. It may be true that we can't handle any more, but if that's the case, you won't let any more happen. Help us, Father, to withstand in that evil day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.